If you like taking notes, the title of this message is Sovereignly Set Up to Stand Out. We are beginning our study of Daniel entitled King of Kings. King of Kings. What we're going to see in the book of Daniel is that God ultimately is the one who is on the throne. And because of that, even though there may be wicked rulers and evil people in power, corrupt people on the throne, ultimately God is the one on the biggest throne. He's the king above all kings. He's the ruler above all rulers. And we see God's sovereign hand throughout the entire book of Daniel. So what we're going to see is we're going to read the first eight verses of the chapter as an introduction. I'll give you some background first, and then we'll pray, and we'll talk about how this applies to us. So the book of Daniel comes at a time, it says in verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Remember, this was prophesied in the book of Jeremiah, Isaiah the prophet, all said that because Israel had been in sin, that God was going to give the people of Israel, his chosen people, over to the people of Babylon. And it says in verse 2, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of, of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. You see, in that day, when you would conquer a different land, you would essentially say, our God is bigger than your God by taking all of your God's stuff and bringing it into the treasure house of his God. And we know from history and we know from the Bible that Nebuchadnezzar erected a, a statue for himself, that people worship his golden image. It was all about him. It's all about his ego. We see that in chapter 4. He says, have I not established this kingdom by my power and for my glory? And he was thinking it was all about him. But the Bible very clearly says, no, the Lord is the one who gave it to Nebuchadnezzar. He could have chosen anybody, but he chose to give it to Nebuchadnezzar. And so Nebuchadnezzar takes it upon himself to almost say, our God is more powerful. Your God has been defeated. And that's why we won the war. And therefore, we're going to take all of your treasures, all the beautiful things out of your temple, and we're going to bring it into our treasure house of our God. Verse 3. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there is no blemish, but good-looking, hello, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacy and the, of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so at the end of the time, they might serve before the king. So they basically took these guys. It says, now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So these are the people that were probably of royal birth, and they were just taken out, and they were trained. They were being instructed. As you would conquer another kingdom, you would take the best of the best, and you'd make them serve. But first, you would indoctrinate them. You would train them. You'd take those wisest people. You'd take the royal blood. And if you didn't kill them, you would take them and you'd try to indoctrinate them so that you can use them for your own means and your own ends. And this is what they did with these four guys. Verse 7, to them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, 
to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So we know, and maybe you were there on the weekend at Calvary Chapel Oldbridge. Maybe you've heard me say this before, but these are switching out their names instead of who is like God. It's who is like the sun God. They were taking away their Christian names, their, or I should say their Jewish names, that gave glory to the God of Israel, and they switched it out for pagan names. Try to take away their identity and give them a new identity. Here's how Daniel responded, though. Verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would give us instruction on how to live in a godless kingdom. Give us instruction, Lord, how to be witnesses, how to be a light in the world that is full of darkness, how to be able to form ourselves into the people that you want us to be. Lord, we're at a crucial time in history, and we're, a, we're at a crucial time in our lives, Lord. We're being formed into people, and we pray that you'd help us to be the kind of people that you want us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. I don't know how many of you use FaceTime. I hardly use it. There's a couple of reasons why. Number, number one, it's kind of awkward when you're kind of just like there and then people just see your face up close. It's like you have to get the right distance, you know? Like you have to either hold it out here so it's not just your eyeballs and your nose and your mouth. And then beyond that, it's like you never know who's going to be suddenly in the camera. It's like, here's my dad. Oh, dad, what are you doing? Hi, dad. Not my dad, but your dad. It's just weird. I don't like FaceTime. Then I'm with like four people in my life. It's awkward. However, a number of years ago during Bridgefest, uh, what happened was I was coming later in the day because I was taking care of some, th some things at home and everyone else was at Ocean Grove. It just so happened that the radio station went down. And so the entire thing is the, the Bridge Radio Station's ministry and Bridgefest needs the radio. And so because the radio station is stationed over here in the office building, I was the closest one to be able to help. However, here's the problem. I don't know anything about radios. Nothing. Nothing at all. If you show me a radio room and I'm trying to fix things, I have no idea what I'm doing. But thanks to the technology of the 21st century, ladies and gentlemen, I said, you know what? I can probably FaceTime the technician who's over there in Ocean Grove, and I'll just flip the camera around, and you tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And I saved Bridgefest. It was pretty awesome. I was so happy. I was like, not just happy that I saved Bridgefest. That's awesome. I was more happy that I was like, I had the idea. I was like, I can use technology. I can use FaceTime. And I did it. I, I guess God did it. I don't want to take the glory for myself. This is not about me. But here's the thing. Because of technology, we've been able to do some pretty cool stuff like that. Now you can work remotely from home. You don't even have to go to an office. You can connect with people from around the world. You can do, and a lot of people do this in our day and age. We're, we're supposed to be working from home, but you can like sleep in a little bit, just like when you're homeschooled. I don't know if that's really true. I was homeschooled only until third grade, and then I got kicked out. But <laughs> by my teacher. You can work from wherever you are in our day and age. Isn't that pretty cool? And here's the thing. Here's the, here's the point that I want to illustrate as we approach the book of Daniel. Is that in a similar way, God's spirit can work remotely. No matter where you are, 
No matter where you're located, there's no place on this planet that God's spirit can't work. Kind of cheesy, but I'm hoping that the picture sticks in your mind for this reason. Because there's so many times that we'll find ourselves in places that we don't believe that God can really use us. We'll find ourselves in situations that we feel like God hasn't called us, and because of that, we'll be discouraged, we'll feel alone, and we'll assume that unless we are in a place of prominence, unless we're in a place that is seen by other people, unless we're in a place of happiness or joy, that's the only kind of place that God can use us, and that's simply not true. Instead, what we see, even in verse 2 of chapter 1, is that God is able to use us wherever he brings us. You see, because I can assume that if I was Daniel and his friends, that if you were brought into captivity, you would see that as defeat, right? You trusted in God, and he lost. That's what it would look like as an outsider, that God lost the battle, and because of that, even though we trusted in God, all of us are being brought into captivity. And it wasn't just kind of like, well, just surrender and we'll just take you as our slaves. Actually, the Babylonians were known to take these teenagers, because that's what they were. Daniel and his friends were about 16 years old at this time. So many of you guys, 16 years old. And they would kill their parents right in front of them. So that'd be the last thing they saw as they left their homeland 500 miles away from Babylon and carry them off as slaves. If that was me and I was brought into a place of suffering, would I trust God? Would I believe that God is still working? Would I believe that God wants to use me? Would I trust such a God? And you see, Daniel, purpose in his heart, regardless of the circumstances and regardless of the situation he was brought in, that God can use us wherever he brings us. It's not Nebuchadnezzar on the throne. It's God. He's the one who worked. He's the one who allowed the people of Israel in some weird way, in some strange to understand way for the people of Israel at that time, into captivity for a reason. And he told them this. First, it was to discipline them. He said that in Jeremiah. But he says, I have plans for you, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. He said, you're going to be brought into captivity, but it's not going to be like that forever. God had plans for the people of Israel, and he has plans for us, no matter what situation we are in, that we can serve God in any location. And that's exactly what Daniel and his friends did. They honor God even while in captivity. In John chapter 9, we have a man who's born blind, and God, Jesus actually comes up to him and heals him miraculously. And in those days, if you were born blind or you're born lame or you're born with this uh, infirmity, popular opinion in that day was that either you sinned or your parents had sinned. Parents had sinned. Jewish culture actually taught that it was possible to be in the womb and sin somehow. I'm not exactly sure what they were envisioning, but that's what they taught. So the Jewish people of the day said to Jesus when they saw the man born blind, they said, so Jesus, tell us, did this man sin or did his parents sin? Which one is it? Now, if you are suffering for a reason that is not your fault, isn't that the worst kind of suffering? If you knew that you are uh, given an infirmity due to someone else's fault, if you were uh, afflicted with something because of someone else's sin, you're brought into a situation that you didn't want to be in, maybe you have family members that 
that are alcoholics or people that have betrayed you, you're just brought into a mess that you didn't cause yourself. But then there's also things that you know for sure is your fault. And you're in the situation that you're in and you're just feeling terrible and you're like, man, like I can't believe that I brought myself into this place. People that are addicts to drugs and people that are going all through different kinds of things can be bringing themselves into the place that they're in because of their sin. And this, this is what Jesus says. It's not your parents' sin. It's not your sin. But he says this in John chapter 9. He says, neither this man or his parents' sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So here's the thing. The place that you're suffering in today may not be your fault. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But will it affect the way that you worship God? Will you allow suffering in your life to affect the way that you view God? Because this is not what Daniel saw. And I believe the reason why Daniel didn't allow suffering to affect his worship is because of this. He knew God's word. He knew that God had said this was going to happen before it happened. He knew that God was in control. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the surface, that God himself was working behind the scenes. This is what Paul saw in the book of Acts chapter 20. Paul knew that he was about to be delivered into uh, the Roman government. He was going to be killed for his faith. And he says this in Romans, uh, Romans in Acts chapter 20. Now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, and I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul the Apostle knew that no matter how it seemed on the surface, that God is ultimately in control. If you're looking at a roller coaster and you've never been on it before, it may, make, it may seem to, on the surface, make random turns left and right. But someone designed it, and there's someone working the machine behind the scenes. Even if you can't see, and even if you can't predict where it's going to lead, you can have confidence knowing that you're going to get to the other side. There are some examples in history of people who saw suffering and still suffered uh, still decided to serve God. Even the famous author, Paul Bunyan, was imprisoned for not preaching with a license. So in his day, he was out there street evangelizing or whatever, and people said, oh, you have a license to preach. So they threw him in prison. I mean, talk about wrongful suffering. And it was in prison that he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, the second most popular book next to the Bible. James, the son of, son of Zebedee, the disciple, who was also the elder brother of John, he was going to be beheaded for his faith. And as he was being beheaded, I imagine you're persecuted for your faith, and even to the point of you're going to be killed for what you believe. James had such a powerful witness as he was being led to the slaughter that the very person that turned him in the very person that accused James of being a Christian was converted at his display of courage. And they both were beheaded at the same time. These were men who saw suffering, but saw that God himself had positioned them in, in places where they were so they could be used powerfully for the Lord. And I wonder what it would look like if we started to see 
the places that we are held captive as places that God could use us. Maybe it's a place of depression. Maybe it's a place of suffering. Maybe it's your school and you hate it. Like, there are many situations that we, we find ourselves in that we don't want to be in. But when you know that God put you there, now you look at it completely differently. You see, God is, is all about people. He loves people. And there are all kinds of different people in this world, and they all need Jesus. How are you going to reach, if you're God, how are you going to reach people that are depressed unless you send people that have been there? How are you going to reach people that are in prison unless you send people into the prison? This is what happened to the Apostle Paul, is that he was brought into prison, and he started preaching to people in prison. He started singing songs while he was in prison, and people were converted. Sometimes God brings you in a place that you don't want to be so that you can reach other people that have no hope. Even Paul the Apostle saw this in Philippians chapter 1. He says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are not physical. My chains are not the things that you kind of bind around your wrists and around your ankles. My chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having be become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He's like, listen, if people are going to be more bold because they see that I'm in chains and I don't care, I'll be in prison. I don't care. Paul was willing to be that example because he knew God had put him there. The chains weren't human chains. The chains weren't metal chains. They were chains that God himself had put on him. And because God was the one with the key, he could let him out whenever he wanted. It could be like Peter. At any point in time, he could just say, all right, I'm going to send an angel. Time to get out. You've done your job. It's time to get out. Have you ever thought about this? When you feel captive, when you feel like you're imprisoned or you're in a place of suffering, at any moment, God could pull you out. That's what frustrates us. Isn't it true? What frustrates us is that we still suffer. It's taking so long. How come I'm still going through this? It's been like a full year, and I'm still going through these struggles. At any point in time, God could pull you out. Why not? Maybe there's somebody else around you that still needs Jesus. Maybe if you got over what it is that you're struggling with so fast, you forget what it was like. Maybe if you got over this, the thing that you're going through right now, you look back at it, and you're like, yeah, that, that was like a different person. I remember what that was like. But God is allowing you to go through it as hard as it may seem so that you can reach the person right next to you. Now your prison is not a prison. It's a sphere of influence. You're looking at it completely differently because your chains are not the world's chains. Your chains are in Christ. Daniel knew this. He saw this. As we're going to see in chapter 3, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not going to bow in front of the golden statue, they say, listen, you can kill us if you want. God's going to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we'll never bow down to you. They don't care. Because the person they serve is the God of the universe. He's in control of literally everything. And if that's true, then any time that you spend here on this earth is time that God has given you. It's a gift. The time that you are alive, the breath in our lungs, we sing songs like that, right? It's borrowed from God. 
He's given us the breath of life, and we are to redeem the time that we have. There's no moment on this earth that we can claim as, this is my time. This is the time I have to myself. This is the time I've earned for myself. God has given it to us and expects us to invest it in his kingdom. So if the good news needs to go to the whole earth, I think prisons are included. And it was because Daniel had honored the Lord in his captivity that God was able to use him. Look at verse 9. This is what happens. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. So Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself, and it was after that that God brought him into the favor of the chief of the eunuchs, the people around him. The first point for tonight, if you're taking notes, is that God is able to use you wherever he brings you. If God's the one who brings you there, he's going to use you. But number two, to be greatly used of God in the world, we must live different than the world. It's not enough to just notice that God wants to use you, but you have to be willing to live differently than the people around you in order to be used of God. This is exactly what Jesus means when he says, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, how are you going to make it salty again? The whole purpose of salt, I mean, you can have all kinds of purposes with salt, right? We've talked about this at Impact if you are with us a couple of months ago. It could be preservative. It can make things taste better. There's all kinds of things you can do with salt. But if salt doesn't do what salt is supposed to do, then what is salt good for? How are you going to make salt salty? By adding more salt? Salt has to be different than the substance that it's put on in order to have its effect. Light has to be different than darkness in order to have its effect. Whether light is revealing things, whether light is warming things, it has to be different. So then why would we want to blend into a world that's hurting, that's suffering, that's going without any hope? We need to look different. We need to act different. When you're going into your public school this fall season, it is important to notice, like, we are put there for a reason. God has put you there. But it's not so you can blend in and be like everybody else. It's so that you can be different. You can be Jesus to other people. You are to be the joy of Jesus in the world. That people look at you and they want that life. Think about this. Social media is terrible for this reason. Social media creates all kinds of envy in Christian lives. You look at each other and you're like, man, I wish I was in a relationship. Man, I wish I had money. Man, I wish I, and you, you just look at things that you, you want things, right? Creates that envy. You got to guard your heart, guard your heart against covetousness. However, social media is also great for this one reason. It can cause spiritual envy for those that are lost to look on those on the inside and say, that's the life I want. Should we not live that way? It doesn't have to be on social media. It could be everyday life. People look at your life and say, I want that life. You have joy. I want to know how you have peace. You're going through this terrible situation, and somehow you're the one who's singing in the jail. I want to know what that's like. And you get to say, I'm so glad you asked. I've been waiting for the opportunity, and here's the reason why I have this joy. Here's the reason why I have this peace. Here's the reason why I have this confidence. I've had people ask me in the past couple weeks about these kinds of things. 
It's like, how do you have hope? How do you have joy? How do you have confidence? And you just kind of answer him like, you know what? When God's in control, you don't have to be. You don't have to figure out your life. You just kind of follow him wherever he leads. That's what we talked about last week. The pressure is off of you to figure out what you're supposed to do, what college you're supposed to go to. All that stuff is off of you. Now it's on God. He figures it out and he brings you and he uses you wherever you are and it can start today. Some of you may be thinking Christianity is for adults and it's for like people like Alan who's like 29 and Dave DeCane and all those people. Like people that are like, yeah, they're living their life. They're adults. Great. But I'm in high school. I got some time. Let me just like live my life, do my thing, and then when I'm older, I'll start following God. But the question I would ask you is why? Because there are people around you now that, listen, you will never be able to influence it the same way ever again. The people in your classroom, you'll never have the opportunity to influence those people now like you will in the future. You'll never have the opportunity, especially if people move they go to different states or go to different schools. You'll never have the opportunity. The people right in front of you are put there for a reason so you can be an influence to them. And so we have to be different. We can look like the world. We should be different. And in the Bible, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 through 21, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheap ones are, are for everyday use. If you, keep yourself, if you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. So here's what the Bible says. So some of you are just like, ah, oh, man, like, I, I don't think it's really bad to do this. I don't really think it's bad to do this. I'm just going to do that because I don't really think that's bad. And the Bible says, that's fine. Like, in, in a person's house, you have all kinds of utensils. Some use every single day, and then there's the special vessels. They're only taken out for special occasions. You want to be like that? You got to save yourself. You got to protect yourself. You got to be different. The very definition of being special means that you're set apart from everybody else. You're going to look different. You're going to act different, and that's for a good reason, because you know by faith that God is going to use you in a special way. Hey, how come you don't talk like everybody else? Hey, how come you don't do what everybody else does? Well, I just, I don't know. I just think that God's going to use me in a very special way. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know it's going to be good. And when he takes me out on that special holiday, and when I get to see the special stew that he cooked for me, that I'm going to be able to be used in, that's going to be an awesome time. Now, if you want to be average, go ahead. Be average. And God's still going to use you. But if you want to be like Daniel, you got a purpose in your heart not to defile yourself. And guess what? Daniel was like number two in the kingdom. Not just in the first, but after Nebuchadnezzar. Then you had his son. And then after his son, you had the other dude, Darius. I forgot his name for a second. I've read the Bible before, I promise. Daniel, up until he was like 80 years old. He's 16 now. Up until he was like 80 years old, he was like the resident sage that was able to influence so many different kingdoms. Wicked people. And yet he was able to make a difference. If you want to be used like that, you got to start now. you got to start. Don't wait till you're in college. Don't wait till you're an adult. Start now. Saying, I'm ready. I want to be used. So that when God does use you, like, all right, this is what that was for. I see now why God had me do that thing. I, I didn't understand in, in, in the moment. But as time goes on, I've seen how God wanted 
to use me. Even Jesus himself, when he hung around sinners, even though he was accused of being a drunkard and being a wine-bibber and whatever else, Jesus said, the reason why I'm hanging out with them is because doctors don't need to visit healthy people. It's the sick. And Jesus had a stark contrast from the people that he was hanging around. Now, an objection that you might be forming in your brain, especially if you're a Bible scholar, is, hold on, wait a minute. Daniel's serving a wicked king? Daniel is friends with Nebuchadnezzar? Isn't friendship with the world enmity with God, as the book of James says? How in the world are they able to serve a corrupt kingdom? Well, here's the thing. We can serve and we can do things well in the places we are as long as you know who you are. See, Daniel didn't allow himself to be defiled, but that didn't mean that he stopped serving. Daniel did all things well that he was given to do, but he knew where to draw the line. When it came to personal compromise, he didn't go there. When, it, when people were saying to Daniel in, lit, in lit, uh, latter chapters that you're not supposed to pray to anybody else, he knew where he stood. And for us, I think some of us go too far in the other direction. You're so afraid of being corrupted by the world that you just hide from sinners. Like, that's even possible, right? But you hide from people that aren't Christians when we all are sinners. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, this is what Paul says. Hey, listen, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world in order to avoid people like that. Paul gave this command, like, ah, just don't hang around those people. Like, okay, and they're like, okay, we're not going to hang around any unbelievers. He's like, no, that's not what I was talking about. You would literally have to physically remove yourself from the planet in order to do that. But for us as believers, we're supposed to go to those places, but know who we are. So how do you keep yourself from being defiled? How do you make sure that you're in the world, but you're not of the world? You're in the world having an influence, but not losing your flavor. You're in the world, but you're not losing your light and putting it underneath the, the bed. Well, I think this is how you do it. When you realize that what God has is more valuable than what the world will give you. Listen, this is, this is so important. Don't miss this. Pay attention. To it. Everyone look up here. If you're wondering how you can have an influence the world and yet, and yet not be influenced by the world, like Romans says, right? Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the only way to do that is to know that what God has in heaven is more valuable than what people will give you on earth. The affirmation people want to give you on the earth, psh, what is that compared to what I'm going to receive in heaven? What is, what is this temporary, like, indulging in sin, the lust, whatever, what is that compared to what God wants to give me in marriage? What is any of this compared to what God has to give me? This is what Jacob and Esau were able to see. See, Esau, if you remember the story in Genesis, he traded his birthright, his inheritance from his dad, being able to be, like, instead of saying, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it'd be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Imagine having that fame and that whatever. Esau was going to inherit everything, the wealth, the fame, 
and he gave it up for a bowl of stew. And it should be a lesson to us. Esau from that day, did you know his name was called Edom, which means red? He was defined by the thing he was passionate about in one short moment. And it could happen for us too. It's like if you could, if you could measure out God's blessings and favors and how he wants to use you compared to what the world will give you, it's like you can't compare the two. But how many of us, in a moment of weakness, give in? Because we really don't believe that the things of God are worth waiting for. Well, this is where we need to remind ourselves in that moment. And this is where you need accountability. It's when you are alone, when it's like three in the morning and you're like, shouldn't be on the internet. It's when you're in a place you shouldn't be, you're at a party. You have accountability. You have brothers and sisters speaking into your life that you can say, hey, listen, like, I know this is stupid. Tell me that this is stupid. Like, yeah, that's stupid. Like, okay, I'm not going to indulge. I'm not going to sell myself cheap because I know that the things of God are worth waiting for. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says this. Because of God's glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. There it is. The Bible says it. If you want to avoid lust, if you want to be able to resist temptation, you need to know that God has promised you things that are better than what the world has to offer. And they could be good things. The world can offer you good things. This is what Jesus had when he was tempted in the wilderness. Satan said, hey, listen, bread's good. If you're hungry, just change that rock into, into bread. Hey, listen, you're supposed to be the ruler of the universe. If you just bow down to me, I'll give you everything. I'll give you the kingdom of the earth. Great things. Like, Jesus should have gone those things. But if he went about it, Apart from God's will and God's timing, it would have been sin. This is what Satan does to us all the time. Is not the apple good? And when Eve saw that it was good for food and it was good to the eyes, she ate of it. If sin didn't seem to be good on the outset, none of us would do it. But this is what Satan does. You see, like, it's really, I mean, like, it's not really that bad. Doesn't it look good? And in a moment, we compromise because we don't know God's promises. This is why it's so important to be faithful in the little things, to be diligent in reading your Bible, to be diligent in prayer, to be diligent in coming to youth group, church, fellowship, so that we can remind ourselves continually where we hold our allegiance, that we worship the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And every time we gather on time, <laughs> On Friday nights, and we raise our hands, we are once again saying like we did tonight, that God is on the throne. We worship the creator of all things. We don't need these temporary pleasures. We don't need these temporary hand-me-outs. We need what God gives us from heaven. And we're saying, God, we want the bread of heaven. We want the bread of life. We want what you have for us. We don't care what the world has. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? I believe that it all starts with being diligent in the small things. And this is what Daniel did. What we see in the rest of the chapter is that Daniel chose not to defile himself. And it wasn't in like there was, you know, promiscuous people hanging around, 
and Daniel resisted that kind of temptation. The temptation he resists in chapter one that, listen, sets the bar for everything else, that opens up doors of opportunity for everything else that would happen to him is this, not eating meat. Isn't that strange? Of all the temptations to resist, the one thing, much like Jesus, not turning the stone into bread, the one thing that Daniel resisted was meat of all the things, right? Uh, a pastor, Jim Gallagher, noted this in a Bible study, and I just love it, so I'm going to repeat it. He said, think about this. There's a proverb, Proverbs chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. It's really strange. It's like instructions on what to do. And in case you're ever sitting in front of a king, this is the verse that you memorize. So in case any of you guys do it, and you're just like hanging out with like, I don't know, the king of like Persia or something. No, that's bad. The king of Persia is Satan. The king of uh, Egypt. That's a theological conversation later. The king of uh, Egypt. Oh, there's no king in Egypt. Where are there kings? What? <laughs> there's a king in Denmark. <laughs> oh, I just ruined my point. Say you're hanging out with the king. This is the verse that you should memorize. Ready? When you sit down to eat with the ruler, consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat. If you're a man given to appetite, do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. It's like really strange. Like why would that be in the Bible? Well, most likely, Daniel, knowing the scriptures, knew this proverb. And as the delicacies came out, he said, oh, yeah, I was told I'm not supposed to eat that, so I'm not going to do that. He knew God's word. It was hidden in his heart so he wouldn't sin against God. Now, why is it that he was supposed to reject the king's delicacies? Here's why. Because the food isn't free. It's all part of the world system to appease you, to appetize you, to show you, hey, listen, like, we're going to take care of you. And Daniel says, I'm not going to take any of that. I'm not here to take care of myself. I'm here to take care of other people. I'm here to serve God. And when we're outward focused, we're outward facing, we're in that place of captivity or suffering, but we're focused on other people, you find nourishment. This is where Jesus said, after he met the woman at the well, and then his, his disciples went up to him and said, hey, listen, are you hungry? He says, I have food that you don't even know about. This is the nourishment, the nourishment that comes from heaven, that as you, in some mysterious way, are looking to feed others, you yourself are fed. And this is what Daniel realized. And it all started with the little things, the little victories, reading your Bible, avoiding certain things. It may seem ridiculous at first, but you're saying, I'm practicing self-denial so that I can follow Jesus in the big things. Listen to what a pastor and commentator, James Montgomery Boyce, says on this. Most young people want their lives to count, and most Christian young people want their lives to count for God. But youth is also often impatient and undisciplined, and young people are tempted to let the little things slide. God will make your life count, but this will not happen unless you determine to live for him and the little things now. Being wholly given over to God now is the essential and best possible preparation for future service. If you want to be used in a powerful way, it starts with the little things. It starts with the daily disciplines. And we've talked about this before, right? It's not like the actual reading of the Bible is a thing that makes you closer to God. It's how you do it, prayerfully doing it. You're, you're, you're starting off the time of reading. You're just reading a verse. You're reading a chapter. You're saying, Lord, I want to meet with you. You're obeying the Holy Spirit because otherwise we can just tick off the list and say, I talked to five people about Jesus today, and we're not really doing it in his power. 
But you're saying every single day, at the start of your day, Lord, you are king, you're the ruler, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to reach? Because the place that you are now may not be the place that you want to be, but it's where God wants you to be. If God wants you to be there, then it's worth asking the question, who can I influence in this prison? So, let's read the verse 17 to verse 21 to see how this pans out. You guys kind of know the story, but I'll summarize real quick. After he refused the king's delicacies, the boss was like, well, listen, if you don't eat, then I'm going to get in trouble. I could be killed. And then Daniel says, hey, let's, let's put it to the test. If we're healthy after giving us only water and vegetables after a week, if we look healthy and stuff, then um, we'll be fine. We'll be good. He's like, sure, let's do that. See what happened. And verse 15, at the end of 10 days, their features appear better and fatter and flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, listen, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus, Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. You see, Daniel and his buddies, they served and they served well. And this is the application you probably don't want to take, but it probably is biblical, that we are to do all activities to the glory of God, including homework, including chores at home. And this is the part where you're just like, oh, why did you have to say that? But it's true, because you never know that being faithful in the small things could open up doors of opportunity later. Who knows that if the discipline you form now in blessing your family will one day turn into you blessing your wife or your husband in marriage. Just all your life you've been doing chores, so it's not a big deal for you to do chores when you're married. Who knows if you being faithful in homework now will turn into diligence in the workplace later. You don't know. But there's only one way to find out taking God at his word and saying, I'm going to be faithful and little, so I'll be given charge over much. And so everything in your life can be a tool or be an idol. It could be a tool to the glory of God that you're taking it and using it. It could be basketball. It could be soccer. You're on the soccer field and saying, this is a sphere of influence. I want to reach people for Jesus. Or you can say, this is the way that I'll get people's eyes on me by scoring the goals, by getting the attention, getting the fame. And to that, God will not honor so what's holding us back? Why wait till you're older? Finishing out the study tonight, I just want to ask a question. Do you want to be used powerfully of God? Then you have to, first of all, look at the situation that you're in. And I don't want to take it lightly. I don't want to just look at the things that you're going through. It could be a spiritual thing. It could be an emotional thing. It could be a family thing. It could be a school thing. It could be anything. Situations. 
But time and time again, whether it's this passage or another passage, what we see is God is sovereign. He's in control. He's behind the scenes. And he works all things together for good. And he's waiting for you to participate in his kingdom. Even, even the places that you're suffering can be an opportunity to reach other people and to give glory to God. So we need to start looking at the situations differently and saying, God has allowed me to be here. Okay, what do you want me, what do you want me to learn? What do you want me to do? And then secondly, in order to be used in that place of suffering, you have to set yourself apart. You have to refuse to let yourself be defiled by the world. Because otherwise, if you're suffering and they're suffering, then you're just both suffering. But if you found healing in that place of suffering, then you can reach over and touch somebody else's life. I'm going to read a quote by the Bible. I just have to vary it up. Titus chapter 3, verses 11 through 14. Last thing I'll say and we'll close. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave us his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. Let's pray.